0: Grab your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be in Hebrews 4 and 5 today. Uh, we, we've been working our way uh, through the book of Hebrews, and, uh, and we're going to continue that process, that journey. Uh, we have a lot to cover, so I want to just really just jump right in. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read verse 13 in a moment. Before we do, would you just bow your head, and let's just ask the Lord's blessing over His Word. Lord, we thank You that You brought us together. And, Lord, I don't believe any one of us are here by accident. And there are those that are watching on the live stream right now. It's no accident that they're watching. You have drawn us to this place. And there's something you want to say. There's something you want to do. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be open to whatever it is that you want to do in us. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts before you, that we would hear you speak to us deep in our innermost being, past our emotions, past our intellect, but, God, deep in our spirit, we would sense the spirit of God speaking to us. And more than that, God, that we would respond to your voice and we would be obedient and just do whatever you say. And God, I pray that as you do that, you would change us today and that as we leave this building, we would say, surely I have been in the presence of God today. And I thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says this, And no creature... Is hidden, and by the way, no creature that's all of us, every human being, uh, all of us in this place, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That is a powerful verse. There is a recurring nightmare that a large portion of humanity has over and over again. The recurring dream or the recurring nightmare is this, that we, that we show up to work or to school either in our underwear or we are naked. Anybody? Well, I'm not going to ask that because it might reveal more than we want to know. Uh, but uh, but, but uh, don't raise your hand at all to that. But, but there's this recurring dream that many, many people have that they show up at school, you know, If you, uh, it happened a lot more when I was like in high school, that kind of dream would show up, but, but, or you show up at work and you're, you're naked and nobody else is naked, everybody else is fully clothed, and A, you can't get out of the place, and B, you can't find any drawers to put on. You know what I'm saying? And so you wake up in this cold sweat, you check yourself and you realize, oh, thank God, that was just a dream, and you go back to sleep. But this is a dream that that, that some people have over and over and over and over again. Well, I want you to look at me right now. I want you to hear this very clearly. You are living that dream. You are living that dream. You can can put secrets right up there with the unicorn, unicorn and the Oompa Loompa as myths that don't exist secrets don't exist no matter how dark and no matter how well hidden no matter how crafty or or clever you are he knows he knows this is what david is talking about he's both rejoicing in and maybe lamenting a little bit over when in the psalms when he says where can i go from to, to hide from you where can i go from you if I climb up on top of a mountain, you're there. If I put on my scuba deer and dive to the depths of the sea, you're, you're there. If I, if I go over there, you're there. If I come over here, you're here. I think I got those two right. I might be a little confused. But no matter where I am, no matter where I go, y- you're there. And I cannot get away from you. He knows. No matter how dark and deep the trail goes, he knows. No secrets. You may be able to hard hide uh, dark or, 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 or uh, uh, deep, difficult things, dark things inside of you, those secrets that you have. You may be able to hide them from me, from your spouse, from your kids, but you cannot hide them from Him. There's not a room in your house into which He cannot see. There's not a motivation in, of the heart, no matter how cleverly you try to justify it to yourself, that God doesn't sniff out. He knows. Really almost kind of a horrifying idea. You know what I'm saying? And and although you you and I may have lost our respect for his presence, he is still there nonetheless, and he still knows regardless. This is you and me living out that dream, naked and unable to cover our nakedness. Hebrews 4.13. So pick it up with me in verse 14, because some of you are like, man, I I was feeling pretty good. Now I'm feeling kind of depressed, but it gets better. I promise you. Verse 14 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest. Now, if you haven't grown up in church, you may, may not understand what he's talking about. In the the Old Testament, the high priest was the man who was responsible for carrying the sins of Israel into the presence of God to ask for forgiveness. So in essence, a high priest is a mediator between God and man. The the high priest was the one who goes in and he pleads your case. So you could think of it almost in terms of the law. You could think of him almost like your defense attorney. This is your attorney that goes in and says, this is the case. This is what happened. The, The high priest would go in and slaughter an animal for his sins and for the sins of the people. And so what it's saying here is that even though the high priest is something that was an office that existed in the Old Testament, he's saying that even though now we live in New Testament era, we still have a high priest. So so look at this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You know what our confession is? Our confession is we cannot make ourselves right with you, God. Our, our confession is the opposite of, of what you often see in Christianity today. It's, our confession is not somebody standing there and pointing the finger at everybody and saying, we're right, you're wrong, you better get right or, or, or you're going to die and go to hell. That, that's not the message. That's not our confession. Our confession is this. We cannot fix ourselves Help us, Jesus. That's our confession, right? So, so since everything is seen, since there are no such thing as secrets, since all of your junk is clearly seen by God as in the daylight, then let us hold fast to our confession. I'm a mess and I need your help. Let's not pretend that he doesn't know. Let's be honest and real with God because the reality is he already knows. He already knows. Let us never, ever drift away from, I am a mess and I need your help, Jesus. Let us never, ever, ever, ever get away from saying, I am broken and I need Jesus. Let us never get away from from that because, listen, if we get away from that, then you have some sort of message, but you don't have the gospel anymore. You don't have the gospel of Jesus anymore. You have a lot of of institutionalism and self-righteousness that starts creeping in. That's what you have. So let's, let's keep reading verse 15. I think this is where it starts to get a little bit complicated and it gets a little uh, 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 difficult for us to wrestle with. So you'll see what I mean when we get to it. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, a, I just want to say this, that's a double negative. So it's a little confusing. He's saying, we, if we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize, that means we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. So let, let me explain, try to explain this a little bit. Sin brings about weight. Some of you are like, that's my problem. I thought I was overeating. No, different kind of weight. <laughs> different, different kind of weight altogether. Uh, what, here, here's what I mean. With, with sin comes shame, comes guilt, and comes despair. A heavy burden of shame, guilt, and despair descends upon us When we do what we hate, and most of the time when we sin, we are doing what we hate. And there's this sense of shame and guilt and weight. It's this burden that weighs down on us. I mean, have you ever had that moment in your life where your junk finally catches up with you? Have you had that moment? Uh, Because if you haven't, and I'm just here to tell you, you're on the clock. I have the gift of encouragement. It's coming for you. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And I want to say this, that, that's that's not intended to be a threat. It's just the way things are. I'm not saying that so that you'll be afraid. I'm just trying to tell you, this is how it works in the way God has set up the universe. Just to quote what my mom would always say, because you know moms have this way of knowing when you' when you've done something wrong and when you think you have covered your trail perfectly. And my mom used to say every time I got caught, which was almost every time, that may be a few times that she doesn't know about, but uh, God does, so I've repented already. But, but every time that happened, my mom would look at me and say, be sure your sin will find you out. And I was like, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble, so so so, but maybe you haven't had that moment where your junk finds you out, where people something about you gets exposed and, 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 and people know things you don't want to know, but maybe you haven't had that, but you probably have had the fear of that moment, thinking of how embarrassed you would be, what what kind of shame there'd be in front of your wife, in front of your husband, in front of your kids. M- maybe you're just aware of the fear of that moment where your junk finds you out well. This text tells us something about that. This text says that in that moment when shame and despair and guilt weigh on your soul, that in that moment we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. It's saying that Jesus can, can sympathize with us in that moment when we feel guilt, when we feel shame, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel distressed. He, he's not going, Jesus is not up in heaven go, saying, oh, man, when are you going to get this right? When are you going to, I've given you so many chances already. Uh, are, are, are you want, do I have to come down there and blow something up to get your attention? Okay, well, here you go. And that's not what he's doing. It's not what's happening. Jesus, our high priest, looks at the guilt, looks at the shame, looks at the distress, looks at the desperation, and he sympathizes with us. Let me show you why he sympathizes with us. He can sympathize with us because he is, in the second half of verse 15, because he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The scriptures say that all the temptations that you and I face, all of them, and in the original Greek, it means all of them. Every single one of them, all of the temptations that befall you and befall me, Christ knew them. Christ knew them. Now try to get your head around that. Christ knew them. And then he's going to roll, uh, roll us into something that, that's hard to deal with. And, and this has all come together here in a minute. But verse 16, look what it says. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Well, first of all, that the throne of grace is kind of an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Those are two words that seem like they shouldn't go together. They're like opposites, but you put them together. Things like military intelligence, you know. Uh, uh, things like uh, uh, pretty aw- uh, awful good. That's a good one, awful good, you know. So we have these oxymorons. Well, this is an oxymoron right here because throne speaks of power and justice, but grace speaks of mercy. So throne means justice. Grace means mercy. So you have this oxymoron going here. A pretty beautiful one, by the way, I, I think. Because I don't want karma. I don't know about you. I don't want what's coming to me. I want grace. you know. Because if the, world, if the way the world works is an eye for an eye and a tooth for the truth, we're all going to end up blind and toothless in the end. I don't want what I've got coming to me. Because the truth is, I know me and I'm a scoundrel. And it, it, don't say amen on that one. My wife can. She knows me. I, I, I don't want my past actions to decide my fate. I, I, I'm, I'm not looking to do good in, in order so it'll be re- returned to me. That's the idea of karma, that if I do enough good, it weighs it out, and if I do good, it'll come back, that sort of thing. What I'm doing is I'm trying, I'm looking to lay my life at the foot of the cross and then rest under His grace. Listen to this, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's saying that when you and I sin, when the the weight of guilt and shame and distress weighs upon our soul, when that overwhelming pressure that sin puts on your soul just begins to feel like it's going to crush the life out of you, that in that moment we should not flee from God we shouldn't run. That's what we tend to do because we have a wrong idea of who He is. And so instead of running to Him, we run away from Him. Instead of running from God, we are in, we're instead we're told to run boldly towards Him because He can sympathize with our shortcomings because He Himself was tempted in all things. Now, here's the problem with that in our practical reality and the way we live. When we try to live this out, we often fail to believe that he really understands because he was God and we're not. Can I tell you what happens to me? The thought process that, that, that I've had walk, you know, walking through this personally. Th- this is the thought process that always, always happens. Maybe it happens in your life and it, it's going to take us down a tough road and we're going to deal with it. But the argument is this. You can you read it It says you can come to Jesus because he understands because he has been tempted too. That's what the author of Hebrews says. And I read that. And I, and I want to say, yeah, but he was God. I'm not. The scripture makes this comparison between Jesus and us. And, and let's be honest, that's a tough comparison, isn't it? That's a tough deal. Jesus is the son of God and you and we're tempted in all things together, him without sin. That's what it says. But if you're like me, you you may be thinking to yourself, well, I, I, I know he was tempted, but I don't know if he was really tempted like me because he's God and I'm not. I mean, he didn't have an, as the sin nature. That wasn't given to him by his father. It was imparted to me. I, and, and, you know, the sin nature started show up in him, showing up in me like a week and a half in, you know. So I'm going, yeah, he was tempted. I, I know he was tempted. I don't doubt that he was tempted. But I, I don't know if he was tempted like me because he's God and I'm not. So here's what happens. The author of Hebrew, he sort of feels this argument coming on because he's going to try to unpack the answer for us. So he's not just throwing it out there and saying, deal with it, you know, but he's going to unpack it for us. And let, let me tell you, what we're about to do, we're about to dive headfirst into mystery. We're, we're, it, it, things that are almost impossible for us to wrap our heads around. At, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to walk out of here and, and we're going to say, that's mysterious, and that's beautiful, or we <laughs> just walk out of here saying, huh? And, and my goal, I'm hoping to save you from the huh moment. That's what I'm trying to save you from. So let's keep reading in Hebrews. What happens next, we start getting a list of what's necessary to be a high priest. This next part is not specifically talking about Jesus. It's just about what's necessary for anybody to be a high priest. And so as we read it, you'll see some of it we don't have a problem with, but there's one thing in particular that is a problem, it's a difficulty we're going to have to try to work through today. So let's start reading Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Thank, thank you, God, for that, right? Amen. Anybody here ever been ignorant or wayward? You know? I I tend to lean more toward the ignorant side, but that's a different thing altogether. But he said, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Do you see where we're starting here to have a problem? Okay, let's keep reading. Because of this, verse 3, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, so here, here are the four things in that text that are necessary for you to even be, consider, be considered as a high priest. Number one, you have to be a man. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying male, female. I'm saying you, you, you can't be a cow, you can't be a monkey, but uh, you have to be a human being in order to be high priest. You have to be a man. That's, that's why Jesus had to leave heaven. That's why he had to leave glory, because if we're going to have a high priest, he had to become a man. Set number two, you have to be called by God. That was in the very last verse. You can't just show up one day in Israel and say, Hey, I'm the high priest. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's just like you can't show up here in church on Sunday morning and say, Hey, I'm the lead pastor now. You know, I'd be up here like going, Hey, I thought I was. Did we take a vote I didn't know about? Was, was there a coup? What happened here? But you just can't, you can't just declare yourself to be the high priest. You have to be appointed, according to the text, by God. Number three, you have to understand the guilt of humanity. That's what it says here. You have to deal with the the ignorant and the wayward, the misguided, the, the, the sin of mankind. You have to get it that we're all guilty. And then the fourth one, this is the one that causes us all the trouble. You have to be beset with weakness yourself so that you can extend mercy and grace instead of judgment and wrath. Okay, so Jesus becomes a man. Jesus was appointed by God. Jesus dealt efficiently and effectively with the guilt of mankind. But wait, Jesus beset by weaknesses? That, that's a tough one. Verses 5 through 10 in chapter 5 deal with Jesus meeting these criteria. And I don't think I have to spend time on the first three because I think we've talked about those plenty of times. We understand those. We get that. But I think I do have to take some time with the last one, because here's the question. How can Jesus be fully God and be beset with weaknesses? Now, verses seven through nine are going to unpack this for us, and and they're going to take us headfirst into that mystery I was talking about. So look at verses seven through nine of chapter five with me. In the days of his flesh, which just means when he was alive here on earth, walking among us, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was son, he learned uh, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So, what's happening here? Is that the writer of Hebrews, I, I believe it's Paul, but there's some who disagree with that, so we'll just say the author of Hebrews, he's referencing a specific point in Jesus' ministry, in Jesus' life, where Jesus is crying aloud with tears and a desire to do to, to avoid dying. What is he referencing? The Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. What we're about to look at is unbelievably unique in the life of Jesus in that there is no warning about it in the Old Testament. You have hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the cross, but there's not one that mentions the garden and what happened there. So I want you to keep your finger where you are and flip back over to Matthew 26. I want you to look with me at a really interesting, mysterious night in the life of Jesus. When Jesus went into the Garden of Eden that the night he was betrayed, I want you to know it wasn't just an one-night unusual trip. Apparently, it was the habit of Jesus, when in Jerusalem to have dinner, and then go to the Garden. And I'm telling you that because Judas showed up with men at the Garden of Gethsemane, but Jesus did not say, hey, let's go to the Garden until after the Passover, after Judas had already left. So Judas must have known, hey, that's, they usually go there after these big events so it leads me to believe that we have a consistent pattern of Jesus after meals after large events disappearing to be by himself to be with the father to take his disciples do some teaching spend some time with them so it just it just makes sense here that this is this is something they always did and they have this beautiful passover meal if you're thinking you know you think about that passover meal the last supper we call it you may be thinking yeah that had to be that had to be kind of weird you know Jesus washing all their feet? That had to be weird. It had to be weird, him, you know, passing out these things and saying, this is my body, this is my blood. That had to be, that had to be weird. That had to be the strangest Passover meal you've ever had. But I just want to say, ha- have you read the Gospels? Uh, because the whole deal was weird. Every day, walking with Jesus. Jesus is an enigma to walk with. The disciples came up to him, for example, and they go, hey, um... Nobody understands your stories, and Jesus says, uh, "Yes, that's why I'm telling them." <laughs> that's, and you're, you know the disciples are like, what, "What did he say?" I think he said he's saying them so people won't understand them. But this this whole walking with Jesus thing was was just a little weird. I mean, he he goes to a tree, to a fig tree, to try to find a fig, and he can't find one. So he curses the tree, and he dies. That's not a normal day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he tends to be brutally hard on the religious, and he loves the drunks and the prostitutes. He, he walks into the pool of Bethsaida. Thousands of people are sick there. He heals one and walks away. The whole thing must have been confusing all the time. So, so I don't think that they're in their upper room on that day and the, having the Passover saying, you know, this night's a little unusual. I think they're thinking that every single day. That's what I'm thinking. I mean... Remember when Jesus said, hey, go on to the other side of of the the sea, I'll meet you there. And they're like, but you don't have a boat. And he says, that's all right, I'll walk, you know, literally across the sea. You know, it's just, it's just, uh, uh, this is, so what I'm saying is this is just as normal a night as can be when you're following Jesus, the son of God. They eat a meal together, celebrating God's deliverance of his people. And then after they're done, they head to the garden like they always do. And it's in the garden that things get really, really weird and, and really hard to lay against his de- deity. So let me show you what I mean here. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took the 12 there, and now he says, he, he stops at a certain point with all 12, then he takes sort of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John with him. And he says, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then then he does something, which, by the way, that's already unusual. When we think of Jesus, we don't usually think of sorrowful and troubled. But then he does something that he doesn't do in any other place in the New Testament. Look at verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And watch with me is is an old world term to say, pray with me. Let me try to pull this into 2022 so you can get your mind around it. He pulls his closest friends together and he says, I am so overwhelmed, so afraid, so distressed, and so overcome that, that I feel like I could die at any second. Please, please. Please pray for me. Nowhere else in scripture will you find Jesus asking for prayer for himself. But he's asking for it here. That's why this is so unique. I'm telling you, this is the most mysterious text that I know of in the scriptures about Jesus. Look at verse 39, Matthew 26. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with a, with me one hour? Which I always feel bad for Peter. I would read that because there were like three of them there. You know, he brought the three closer and they're there. And he comes back and finds them sleeping. And he doesn't say, Guys, what are you doing? He says, Peter. You know, I'm like, How's Peter? Peter's like, Well, what about these guys? You know, I always wonder what happened. What went through Peter's mind? But it doesn't tell us what went through. So I just have to wonder. So uh, anyway, let me get, find where I was. He said to them, Peter, uh, he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. Now, I want you to watch this. He prays the same prayer. It's the same thing. Maybe, maybe worded slightly different, but he doesn't change the prayer. It's the same request. He says, my father, If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, do you hear what he's inferring? He's saying, I would rather not drink this. I don't want to drink this. Verse 43, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. so So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep And take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus, God in the flesh, shows up in the garden and becomes overwhelmed, distressed, fearful and exhausted. So much so that the weight of the stress makes him begin to sweat blood. The book of Hebrews is saying to you and to me that in this moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of the weight that accompanies sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the despair, all of the overwhelming force of our own failures, that that impending judgment that we know is rightfully ours because of our sin, it all falls on the soul of Jesus and begins to crush Him. Now flip back to Hebrews 5, starting in verse 7. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. Now, historically, I have been taught that that's referencing the cross. And and, and ultimately, full obedience did bring in the cross, but that's not what He's referencing here, is it? He's talking about the, the Garden of Gethsemane. He learned obedience, and and, and of course, Jesus learning obedience is mind-boggling, learning anything is mind-boggling through what he suffered. So so let me try to get this to you. What's happening in the garden is that every cell in Jesus' body is saying, let's get out of here. Every cell, every nerve impulse, every thought, every idea raging through his mind is that just 10 minutes from here, they're lighting torches and they're grabbing chains. And if I don't leave now, I'm going to be slaughtered tomorrow. And everything in him is screaming, let's go, let's get out, I don't want this. All of the guilt. All the agony, all the shame, all the weight of sin begins to weigh upon his heart and yet he does not sin. He doesn't climb up a fig tree and hide. He doesn't doesn't run and, and decide he'll deal with the consequences later. He prays and he prays and he prays and he prays and he gathers around him his closest friends and gets them to pray also and they pray and they pray and they pray and finally until it's the time to be obedient. And then he steps forward and lets Judas kiss him. The very lips he created, the very muscles in the face that won't function unless he lets them, betrays the Son of Man. So he knows all of the weight, guilt, shame, and hurt. He knows. And because he knows, according to Hebrews, he can be merciful and gracious in our time of need. Because he knows, he doesn't look at us and go, oh man, when are you going to get this right? Because he knows, he says, come to me. Run to me with boldness, with confidence, come to me. See, the word repentance has been brought up already this morning. And to, to repent is kind of a, it, it sometimes it, I think in our world it's become a little skewed, it's a little weird. Because the way we, were, the way we use the word repentance, it often almost comp- conveys the idea that it's a threat, you know. Maybe it conjures up images of, uh, in your mind of some guy standing on a soapbox in the corner somewhere, a street corner somewhere with a bullhorn and he's yelling out to everybody that they're going to go to hell. Repent! And and, I mean, if you ever know that guy, I've heard some of those guys on the street. And I mean, you're tracking with me. You know what I'm talking about. The the idea of repent in our culture just always sounds like a threat to me. You know, it's like they're saying, repent or there's hell for you. And there's truth in that. But of course, the Bible says that we need to be full of grace and truth. So there's full of truth, but there's no grace. And then you got other churches that want to talk about grace, but they don't want to, they avoid the truth. You got to have both. But but it always, the idea of repent always just sounds threatening. But maybe through these lenses, maybe understanding what's going on here. The call to repent is not a threat at all. Maybe it's an invitation. Maybe Jesus isn't up in heaven going, come on, I I did it. Why can't you? What's your problem? I swear one more morning without a quiet time and I'm going to destroy the city. (laughs) You know. No, that's that's not what's happening. Maybe repentance isn't a threat at all. Maybe it's an invitation. Maybe repent for the kingdom of God is at hand means, hey, walk away from that junk because there's a better way right here with me. Maybe repentance is God's way of saying, I have such deep waters in which you can swim. Maybe repentance is Jesus' way of saying, listen, you can live that way if you want to, but it's just going to bring you pain and ultimately death. But there's life over here if you want it. There's healing over here if you want it. Won't you walk this way? Oh, I I know. I know your shame. I I know your guilt. I know your despair. I, I know you think that I heal everybody else, but you've just gone too far I get it my yoke is easy though and my burden is light come on walk away from that come with me approach my power with confidence so that it can heal you approach my power knowing that I carried the guilt and the shame and the despair that you feel and I long to lift you out of it that is the gospel That's the gospel. You know, I try. We're going to close here in just a moment, but I try to be real when I'm standing before you. You know, I, I try to put, kill the myth of super pastor. I said that one time at a, at a church, and that that uh, and and somebody went and they made a cape that said super pastor on it. Don't do that. Uh, but it was funny. But but I try to be real. I try to be honest. Uh, about the fact that I'm a human, that I have struggles in, in different areas of my life. I mean, wh- why do you think I show up here on Sunday and confess areas where I struggle, though? You know, wh- why do you think I do that? I mean, would, would, uh, in my flesh, you know, I'm, I mean, I want to I just show up here, you know, like with a cape on. You know, dun, 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 dun. no, that's Star Wars. Sorry. Think of the Superman theme. <laughs> I had it in my mind like 10 minutes ago, but it's gone. You know, where, where I show up and, and I just pretend like everything's good and I stand here with a cape on and say, all things work together for good to those who love Jesus and call, or call according to purpose. And then I you know, fly around the sanctuary and land on the baptismal and say, come and repent now. You know, I mean, I'd love to be that, but it's not who I am. That's not who I am. Why, why do you think, though, I'm honest? Why do you think I try to be real and let you see that there are areas where I struggle. Like I talked about a few weeks ago about when the, the time when my grandmother passed away and my niece got cancer and I was really struggling and saying, God, I don't get this. And I was wrestling with God. Why do you think I say those things? Well, you know, maybe it's for you, but, but maybe it's for me too. Because one of the most damaging things that can happen in church is when men and women stand on stage and pretend that they know everything and pretend that they have arrived. You know, when I saw that as a young believer, especially young in the ministry, I always always thought, man, something's wrong with me. I mean, that that guy, he doesn't even touch the ground when he walks. He just sort of flutters, you know. I, I don't flutter. What's wrong with me? Maybe Jesus doesn't work for me. Well, you know, I'm trying with all the grace Jesus will give me to approach his throne of grace with confidence. Confidence that who I am today doesn't have to be who I will be tomorrow. But it starts with being honest about who I am today. I wonder how many are here today that maybe you're carrying a load of shame, a load of guilt with you, Listen, I, I know shame. Shame used to be my constant companion. Used to be a good friend of mine, hang, hung out with me all the time. You know, the shame you feel when you just can't get out of that sin. It just sucks you back in. No matter how hard you you, you kick and fight and scream, it just keeps bringing you back in. And, and I wonder how many of you are walking in guilt. Wondering how, how many of you are just about to give up. And the, And the truth is, you're about to give up, but you've if you were honest, you never really tried Jesus. You tried church, but you didn't try Jesus because the church—the church ain't Jesus. Forgive my grammar. The church is Jesus's bride. The church is important, but you tried being a church goer and doing church things, but you didn't go to Jesus. In the middle of the shame and guilt and confusion and despair that might be haunting us in here, there's this invitation that goes out to us to come and be healed by the one who has walked through all of that. He has felt it all, and he has survived it. One who who held on to God, being faithful even when everything else looked dark. You know what the worst part of my job is? I've told you this before, but the worst part of my job is that I cannot choose for you. I can't do anything but use my mouth and pray. And it's it's horrible. It is. Um, because I just, sometimes I just want to shake somebody and say, believe. But I just, I found it just not very effective. You know, they, they, they repent for the moment and then run as fast as they can. You know, it's like, get away from that guy. He's crazy. I don't know what's wrong with him. It's just not very effective. But so, so, but here's here's what I want to do today. I want to close with this. I'm, I'm gonna pray for us. Mary Beth is gonna come up here in a moment, and she's gonna begin playing something, and 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 um, maybe even maybe even go back into one of the songs, maybe even go back into I Speak Jesus. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. But but they're gonna come up here and she's gonna she's gonna sing, she's gonna lead us a little bit. And can i just invite you not to just rush out see that, that's a thing we, we it's so easy for us to come to church and then when it's done we just get out as quick as we can cuz i mean i understand you got to beat the baptist to coltons i get i get that but they're already there cuz they're you know we we are a little long-winded here so they're already there so forget that so you just we needed to time it for the second wave that's my advice but uh, but maybe maybe i'm just saying today just don't rush out if you, if you don't have to. I understand sometimes you've got things you've got to go to, but if you've been running, maybe it's time to quit running. If you've been thinking, oh, oh, oh no, my, my junk is just so much deeper, maybe it's time to come to him. If, if you're doing the self-loathing pity party, maybe it's time to lay that idolatry down because... The thing about the pity party is you're the star. I I me 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 I I I me 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 poor old me poor old me. Maybe even that needs to be laid down at the cross today. I just want to extend an offer to you that comes straight from Jesus and and I'm not making I'm not I'm intentionally trying not to make an emotional appeal. Cuz I know emotions will come and go and they'll wear off and and, and if you feel emotional, that's great. That's the, often I respond to the Spirit that way. But, but I, I want to extend an offer to you that comes straight for, from Jesus. Here's His offer. You don't have to carry the shame or the guilt or the despair because Jesus already carried it for you. Confess your sin. Pray for forgiveness. And find freedom. Freedom. So, so this is my prayer. This, this is my hope for you today. My hope for you is that you would run, but that you would run to, not away from Jesus. That you would run with confidence to the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. That you'll say, I know Jesus knows. I'm going to quit trying to hide it and carrying around this guilt when I can have forgiveness. I can be free. I don't have to deal with this anymore. He can wash it away. That's the beauty of it. The Bible tells us that when we come to him and we confess that he wipes that slate clean. It's as if you never did anything wrong. You never sinned before. It's clean. Only he can do that. That's why He's the only way to heaven. Because sin can't be allowed. God is a holy God. Sin is not allowed. Sin cannot survive in His presence. So there has to be a way to deal with sin before we can go into heaven, before we can go into His presence. And, and He's the one that came with the only remedy to take that sin away so that we can go into the presence of God. That's why Jesus is the only way. And that's why the invitation for you It's just what we sang earlier when we said, I speak Jesus. Invitation you is not to come to an altar, not to come to a pastor, not not to come to anything, but to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes with me. Father, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters that are in this place right now. And thank you for those that that have sold out to you and maybe there's some that are either here or they're on the live stream that they just haven't really made up their mind they're just sort of checking you out they just they just know something's missing in their life and maybe they're looking for answers and today I, i just god i thank you that your word makes it clear that you are the answer if there's anybody here that's walking with a load of guilt load of shame load of despair they feel like they're about to give up and pray Lord, that today they would run to your throne of grace. that is That they would stop running from you and start running to you. That they would come to you and say, Jesus, I confess... I'm not, I'm not going to try to hide this from you anymore because I know you already know. So I just want to come and I want to lay myself before you and all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my sin, everything that I am, good, bad, ugly, all the warts, everything about me, I lay it at your feet and I say, Jesus, here I am. Will you please forgive me? And Lord, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us in that moment. But more than that, because you have given your blood, you can actually answer that prayer and say, yes, yes, I've been waiting for you to come. Let me wipe it all away. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here or anybody on the live stream that that that's where they are, I pray, Jesus, that today would be the day. And Lord, if there's anybody here that that they know you, they're church attenders, but they have just been playing the game. They've been been going to church and wearing their mask and, and they haven't really been honest and they haven't dealt with the things in their life and their areas that they would just be mortified if it ever came to light they'd be embarrassed in front of their family or their church or their friends lord i pray that today would be a day that they just won't run out of here but god that today they'll just come into your presence and say, and say lord i really need your help dealing with this because i can't fix myself I need your help. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around. Listen, I have no idea where any of you are in your relationship with Jesus. Even those of you that have been part of the church for decades. I don't know because I can't see your heart. But today, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Maybe you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because... I've been carrying a load of sin and shame and guilt and I need, to, I need to lay it at the feet of Jesus. I need to come running to his throne of grace to find help because I can't do this myself. Whatever it is, I don't need to know what it is. But if that's you today and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Yes, yes. Anybody else? You can put it right back down. Yes. Anybody else? Maybe there's somebody else here. You say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I have confessed my faith in Jesus, but there are areas of my life I have been trying to hide from him. And I realize today how foolish that is. And I just want to be honest with him. I want to open up so that I can find healing instead of just trying to hide it. If that's you today, would you slip your hand so I can pray for you? Is there anybody? Maybe on the live stream, you can just say something in the comments. Here's what I want to do. It's a little different than the way we often end a service. But I'm gonna pray a prayer. But as I pray that prayer, Mary Beth is going to begin leading us. She's gonna begin singing. And I'm just gonna open the altars. And if, if you need to do business with God, would you do that? Your lunch can wait. Honestly, you can wait five minutes. Whatever you have going on, it can wait. But I want to open up the altars because some of you might need to come. You might need to kneel before God or you can just stay there and sit in your in your pew, but you need to, you need to talk with God about some things going on in your life. If that's you, I, I just want you to just don't run out don't short circuit what god's trying to do because we do it all the time just stay and let him do what he needs to do all right and the rest of you if you're going to go if you're going to head out then i invite you to i want you to have conversations but maybe do it outside or do it over here in the fellowship hall this the the room off to the side so that if there are those in here praying, they can seek God without distraction. Would you do that for me? I want to pray. And then then we're going to open the altars and the rest of you will be dismissed. Father, right now, I pray, God, that those who need to do business with you would be serious. And that, God, at this moment, they would would say, I'm not going to short-circuit this. I'm not going to run around. I'm not going to... I'm not going to try to hurry this, God. I'm going to let you do what you need to do. I'm going to stay. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to get on my face before God. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to deal with this because I need to be whole. I need to be healed. I need the help of my Savior. I need the help of my great high priest. And Lord, for the rest of us, if there's those that, 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 are, that need to go, I pray, God, that you'd help us to leave and go with your grace. That your favor would rest upon us all week long, that people would see the grace of God resting upon us and they would say, they would come to us and say, What is different about your life? I don't get it. And we'd be able to speak Jesus to them. Lord, use us, I pray, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.